So we'll be focusing on James chapter 1, verse 13 to 15. We've been looking about trials um, over the course of the teachings in James. Um, So up to this point, we've heard how James has discussed uh, the testing of one's faith through trials and different types of trials, various kinds. It comes in different measures, different ways. And it's ultimately God's perfect plan is his uh, his way of conforming us to Christ-likeness, is pruning us, um, is teaching us valuable lessons, is really shaping in our lives, it's humbling us um, so we don't exalt ourselves. Um, it's, it's a process that the Lord does uh, to bring us to a place of perfection, to com- of completeness, um, a place of surrender truly to Christ Jesus, to lacking in nothing when he returns. Unless we forget, James has made it so clear to us that true believers will face trial. He said that all along. He says, uh, count your joys, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. We will meet trials. True believers will meet trials. But three points to highlight that God, through his servant will, that tests us, is number one, that the testing of one's faith with trials can only be attributed to God himself the author and finisher of our faith. If he's testing our faith, surely it's coming from him. If one is truly a Christian, we have been saved by grace through faith, and faith in only, only, only in Christ Jesus. The faith is not of our own doing, but it's through God's sovereign will, sovereign grace, his power in every situation that we face. The process and the results of the trials for a believer is the production of a, a certain communicable aspect of God's character and his attributes um, that help us to, you know, we, we, there's characters of God that we can't, we can never have, that's God, but there's certain things we can, and part of that is that steadfastness, being able to be steadfast, growing in steadfastness when we face opposition, when we face um, trying times, when we we're coming up against difficult moments. Um, the Lord's helping us to press on, as Brother Paul says, in those tribulations and challenges that we face. So let steadfastness have its full effect. And this is the product of a test, you know, of, this, of, the, of, of one's faith in suffering. Um, it's like gold being refined. Uh, it goes through the, the, the burning stages that um, before gold, it's, it starts off as impurities, you know, and it's got to go through the fire before it becomes pure. And that's what God is doing to us. And the trial must be from God because the end product is Christ-likeness. If you see in verse 4, it talks about that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There's only one spotless lamb. There's only one name by which we must be saved. There's only one perfect sacrifice. There's no one who's defeated sin except for Jesus. He's defeated sin, the devil. He's defeated the fall that caused us into, and pulled us into, into, into death, both physically and we were heading to eternal death. But Jesus, once and for all, is, is atoning work for us has set us free. He alone completes the work. See, there are two uses for the word trial. We've seen how James has talked about trials regarding the challenges that we face, the persecution, the, the, 
the Christians, you know, the Jewish Christians were facing at this time. Um, but James is eager to clarify something here. It's, it can be a confusion between the two types of trials, and um, we need to know what the causes are of certain trials. We want to know what the byproducts are, and ultimately what the end thereof of these two trials. The trials that come from God, they produce godly character. They are good because God is ultimately good. It talks about, from verse 16, it talks about, and 17, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. So God gives good, good gifts, even if they seem very trying. Trials that come from God causes faith to grow in Christ. It's the work of God to sanctify the God, the, of God's elect. It causes submission to God's will and it produces the fruit of the Spirit. And there is no better way to know Jesus than to experience and to be part of his suffering. At its core, it's divinely orchestrated to conform us to Christ-likeness. But we also know that Scripture talks about knowing him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. We get to know Jesus more in that. But this evening we want to look at another type of test, the other part of a trial that James focuses on in verse 13 to 15. See the word parasmos is the Greek word for trial and on the positive side it talks about the testing on another side it's the temptations that we face and this is what James is talking about in verse 13 to 15. The outline for today, sorry there are no notes, but the, f- the first outline is that the, for the process of temptation, secondly the purpose of temptation, and thirdly the conquering power of Jesus over temptation. You see in James 1.13 it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. So there is no room to blame God when we face temptations and say, oh, did God lead me into this temptation to test me and to see if I'm good or uh, what is he trying to do in this temptation I'm facing? God simply doesn't test anyone. That's what the scripture says. Sometimes we may think that temptations we face arise from God directly and in some walked way that he's testing our responses. I've been there where I think, Surely I've been going through this for the last five years because the Lord is testing me with this temptation. You see, it's counter God to face temptation, yet it's also a form of a test of our faith. And James draws a definitive line by writing, let no one say that when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, because temptations must have the origins from somewhere else, Surely if we truly believe the scriptures. You see, temptation is a sure certainty for every human being. Just like we face trials, we're going to face temptations. It's as a result of the fall, as we know, from the Garden of Eden. And the story, that story talks about that initial deception and ultimately the fall of mankind. It rings so true today. You know, we've come from that lineage. And there is no getting away from it, except that for the power and the saving power of Jesus Christ. We can't get away from that. See, God did not delight in the fall of man. It was not his desire that Adam and Eve should fall, to succumb to the deception of the enemy. But we must understand that God did not tempt Eve. The temptation came by the way of the enemy, 
However, to truly understand the pr process of temptation, we must start right at the beginning. You see, the initial phase of all temptation arises from the desires of our heart. When we look at verse 14, it says, But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. You see, James is placing the blame firmly on us, on our desires, the condition, the heart condition of man. Whilst the Bible describes the disease of the corrupt, the simple and evil desires that's consumed the human heart, man must be held responsible for those desires, not God. See, God has given to us desires which serve specific purposes. Unfortunately, our desires that lead us into sin, if we don't check them, or we don't submit them to God, they lead us astray. They lead us down the pathway of sin. See, in and of ourselves and in of themselves, our desires, our heart condition, um, may not necessarily be sinful, but they can lead to sin. sin. Our desires, some things that we desire, I mean, can we say hunger is, is a sin? Can we say eating is a sin? It depends on what stage of eating. If we're gluttonous, yes. But that initial hunger and, and, and desire to eat is not sinful. There's a desire to have a wife. There's a desire to have a husband. Is that sinful? No. But can all, things like that can lead to sin. If we're pursuing things in the wrong manner or in, in a certain way, it can lead to sin. Is desiring a career or a job a sin? See, these desires are not sinful, but they can become sinful. See, our desires are just a start, the beginning of something greater. The first steps for anything often determine the direction. I often say to my son that carry on as you want to. You know, sometimes you wake up in the morning and if, if you're not careful, you can, you can uh, continue the day, you're just, oh, you know. And you need, to, you need to pick yourself up sometimes because that's how the day continues. You know, if you're learning to, to drive, sometimes you're making mistakes and that first mistake you make, especially in the first few minutes of driving, if you're not careful, you can continue to make those mistakes because you're just beating yourself up. Oh, why did I do that? And you're not concentrating anymore. So the way we start is very important. See, our desires can lead us to be exposed to a powerful enemy. Let's see what James says in verse 14 again. It says, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. You see, being lured, is, it describes being pulled away, being isolated, being taken away from God's presence. You know? And when we talk about it being enticed, it's almost trying to catch something, trying to bait something. You know, I've ne the only thing I've ever tried to bait is, is, is a mouse, you know, and, uh, you know, there's, there's, you look up on YouTube and there's different ways of, of going about it and you're preparing and you're thinking, okay, what do they like? They like cheese and they like, uh, you know, things that are sticky and stuff like that. And you, you're preparing the trap for them, right? And that's what the enemy's doing. That's what he does to each Christians and non-believers also. He's waiting because he knows your desire will eventually bring you to that place. You see, Satan's strategy and plan is to bide his time, to lure you in, knowing that your desires will lead you, lead you to his trap. So you can take, you can, 
you can take one away, he can take one away from the fellowship of the church. Sometimes, you know, maybe you feel lonely and no one is, is meeting your needs. And no one seems to care very much for you and your feelings and the things you want to do. See, loneliness is a real feeling. And it's not sinful. But we've got to be careful because those desires can sometimes fester without godly input from the body of Christ. Leading to further withdrawing from God's people and gathering. So we notice in the Garden of Eden that Eve was lured away, wasn't she? She was taken away. Something enticed her, right? When she was tempted. She was away from the covering and authority of her husband. Maybe you've been praying and desiring work that the Lord has answered your prayers and now you're struggling to read a word. You're struggling to go deep in God's word because your time's been taken away or your energy has been sucked out. Tiredness has set in. Fatigue has set in. Or it could be that the closest to God seems a lifetime away now. Since you, you know, you've got the money going in, you've got coming in now, you've, you've got the promotion that you've desired. You've acquired a lot and that sense of God's, God's status has set in. You see, those desires initially for not so sinful things somehow has turned sinful. You see, sometimes winter comes and we, we think, oh, I've got nothing in the cupboard. You know, it's just summer clothes and the winter clothes up in the loft and you think, oh, I can't be bothered to, to go up there. And we just go and spend and buy again and just keep buying, you know. Um, we can fall into that trap. Or maybe we escape into the lonely parts of our consciousness, or our thought process due to idleness and become lazy with our thoughts. And we entertain certain things, the things that we watch, the things that we listen to. We're not careful anymore because our heart's growing cold. You see, the, an enticement is the devil dangling what looks like pleasure sometimes before your eyes, before the eyes of your heart. It would not be an enticement if it's not something that's pleasurable, right? If it's not something that we want, something that we desire. You see, the fruit looked good to Eve. Samson had love for women. David looked from his balcony from afar. His eyes beheld something that shouldn't have. Judas, for 30 coins, betrayed Jesus. See, the alluring character and enticement of the devil serves and serves only to take our heart, our heart from Jesus. When we look at verse 15, we can see the, what the purpose of temptation is. It says, Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. See, temptations seek to bring about a fall and ultimately destruction. See, God's purpose of trials are to, are to cause us to persevere, to press on, to become perfect and complete in him, and thus spending time in his presence and, and eternity forevermore. But temptations can come as tests, not from God. When they do come as a test, if we're not careful, if we perceive sin, it can continue to grow and it can form a cycle that leads to death, the eternal separation from God. 
spending eternity in hell. That's in the case of an unbeliever, but what about the case of a believer? It can also cause a physical death. See, when God gives us trials, our approach should be to persevere. But sometimes we can also fall into temptation, depending on how we approach those trials. Previously we've talked about how we, we need wisdom in trials. We need to understand what God is doing. But sometimes we can end up being like Job's wife and curse God, say something against God. Why has God brought this to you? We feel like, why is it happening to me? I'm serving faithfully. But it can lead us to distrust God and disobey Him and just begin to rely on our own selves and just think, what, what is God trying to do? You see, notice the conception of sin in verse 15. See, the initial good desires, they don't always have to be bad desires to start off with. The initial good desires sometimes have, have gone through a process of resulting in sin uh, being conceived. See, this person is now pregnant with sin. If there is no repentance, if there is, no, if there is continuous cycle of sin being repeated and repeated, it will lead to death. It will lead to being cut off from God. It will lead to physical death in some cases. See, the conception of sin ultimately, ultimately, always gives birth, gives birth to death. See, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the springs of life. See, the NKJV says, uh, for out of it flows the issues of life. See, the heart of man is the control box for all life's issues, emotions, feelings, and our desires. See, we're commanded in Proverbs here to, to keep guard of our heart. What we get allowed to come in, we need to be vigilant and to stand watch, stand firm. Be alert. It's a command, it's a warning to us as believers that not to allow things of the world to overwhelm our hearts. You see, in science, we know that the heart is responsible for the circulation of the body to the different vital organs. And when we think about our heart desires as well, that's how it can influence every part of us. We need to put that into check because it has the capacity to destroy this whole body. When we read Romans chapter 1, we know Romans chapter 1 very well, and it talks about God's judgment on the, right, on the righteous, his wrath on the righteous. We see four things from there. It talks about, you know, that God, that they became futile, becoming futile, they rejected God, right? And firstly, that their foolish hearts were disheartened. Secondly, that God gave them up to the lusts of their heart to impurity and then God, God gave them up to dishonourable passions also God gave them up to debased minds how often do we look at those, those scriptures and actually think I need to check my desires also see that's the unrighteous, we know we are righteous in Christ, but we still need to mirror ourselves and, and see and, ch and check what our heart's desires are like see the rejection of God as the one true God is a consequence of the human heart choosing humanistic, evil and selfish desires as gods. Lowercase. You see, there's a song um, 
I listened to by a beautiful eulogy, um, a Christian group. It goes like this. I can't always rely on my desires, but I treat them like a Messiah. I can't always rely on my desires, but I treat them like a Messiah. Whatever it is that gives that feeling that we can't live without, the joys we try to get that only God can give, we highly doubt. What allures and arouses our heart, we can't figure out, but it's the quickest way to account for what we prize and are, are most proud about. These gods make promises but always lie to us. The kind of lies that says that they'll keep us safe and satisfy us. We blame the lies that lie outside of us, but it's the lie that lies inside that captures the depths of the desires and false desires. We see pleasure in everything, in anything. We overestimate everything, endlessly trusting in empty entities, secretly searching for anything in moments of blessing, while exiting edicts of meaning over our ecstasy. When a good God gives good gifts, we generally turn tend to twist the list and take the list of good gifts that God tends to give and make general gods of gifts. I suppose what exposes the worship in most of us is a close look at most of our thoughts, our heart desires, our fears, our emotions. No matter what I do, I can't even make it last. I just repeat my past. I'm so broken. See, the lie that captures, the lie that lies inside, captures the depths of our desires and false desires. We need to keep our desires in check. How often do we check our desires? How often do we look for God's word and say, am I following Christ? Are my desires submitted to him? Do I look to obey God? Do I look to, am I striving each and every day to keep myself pure, keep myself holy, um, not by our own strength, but praying to God and seeking God to help us? Are we committed to praying about our heart condition? Do we seek for God to conform us each and every day to his plan and purposes? See, God cannot tempt us with evil. He plans, his plans are for us are expected, it's an expected and an expected hope in Christ Jesus. But God is able to use every evil intention of the devil for his good purposes to strengthen us. God is sovereign. Think about the case of Job. The enemy did come to tempt him. But his purposes remain. God's purposes and plans remain. And God is faithful. And finally, we want to look at the conquering power of Jesus over temptation. How and what other ways can we overcome temptations that we face? In various different ways, we must look to Jesus, who is fully God, fully man. Jesus identifies with us, the perfect God-man. See, verse 13, he says, For God cannot be tempted with evil. God cannot be tempted with evil. Does James mean that Jesus didn't face temptation? No, we know Jesus faced temptation. When we look in Matthew chapter 4, 1 to 11, but we also know that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for that temptation. God was always sovereign. 
In that wilderness moment, he was tested after fasting, 40 days, 40 nights. God's sovereign hand was upon Jesus, directing him, helping him, even though he permitted Jesus to be tempted. God's plan was to demonstrate the persevering faith of Jesus Christ, our God-man, and to prove him perfect, to prove him the perfect saviour and complete, lacking in nothing. See, Satan's plan was to tempt Jesus for the purposes of destruction and aborting God's plan for salvation. But Jesus had a real desire. Jesus was hungry. As I have never fasted 40 days, 40 nights. I don't know if anyone else here has. But that's hunger after that. So he had a real desire for hunger. He offered to eat. And we talked about earlier on about those desires sometimes that are not necessarily evil and sinful, but can lead down the road of sin. So Jesus had a real desire, and Satan sought to entice him with food. The first thing he said, right, he said, turn these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus didn't sin, right? Jesus came back with a word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word of God, by the word that comes from God. Jesus did not sin. Again, the Satan tried to lure him away, right, to the pinnacle of the temple of the holy city and commanded him to throw himself down. Jesus, did Jesus sin? No. See, Satan thought that Jesus would give into his temptation because he was hungry. And sometimes when we're hungry, our minds are not necessarily connected. We've all been hungry, haven't we? Hangry. You're hungry and angry at the same time. But Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus had no desire to demonstrate power in a way that the devil tempted him to. He wanted to only to fulfill God's will. He only planned to obey God, to suffer choose the way of suffering that was already ordained for him to die on the cross to redeem God's people. See, again, Satan came the third time. He took him to the highest point, the highest mountain, and commanded him to, to bow down and to worship him. Again, to tempt Jesus into a quick fix and to forgo the path of suffering. You see, Jesus never sinned because he had no evil desires. His desires were perfect and complete. No amount of temptations would or could conceive sin in Jesus. He is the, incorru- the, he is the incorruptible seed. When we look at Esau's story, he sold his birthright because he was hungry. We contrast that to Jesus, 40 days, 40 nights, hungry, tempted, but his desires did not lead him to sin. See, if Jesus was tempted, then we will face temptations too. See, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cried out in prayer three times. And the first of which he said, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See, Jesus was battling. See, Jesus had two natures in one body, his human nature and his divine nature. And his human nature was, this is heavy. 
this is tasking. But he chose to do the Father's will. Jesus knows our every weakness. He knows what the flesh desires, so he can identify with us. Yet his desires did not lead him to sin. If Jesus had sinned, then there would be no salvation for us. It was impossible to lure and entice Jesus into sin, even in the climax of his sufferings. See, Jesus was tempted and tested at every point, at all points, yet without sin. That's what Hebrews 4.15 says. So in conclusion... We're not the first to face temptations, are we? See, there, there's no temptation that has overcome us, has overtaken us, that is, that is not coming to man. We all face temptation. We all face things that our desires can lead us away to and, and the enemy can entice, entice us with or lure us away from God's presence. We all face those moments. Our, our work can be challenging. Marriage can be challenging. Children can be challenging. You know, job issues can be challenging. Retirement can be challenging. Each and every day we're battling with sin. We're battling to do God's will. Yet there's things that tempt us to take us away from God's presence. Sometimes we go through hardships of pain and suffering, of illness and sickness, pain in our bodies, pain in our minds. And but we need to bring the, these areas constantly before the Lord to submit them to, to Jesus Christ himself. See, if we haven't surrendered our lives to Jesus, if there's anyone here that hasn't surrendered their life to Jesus, you can't overcome temptations by your own strength, by your own will, by your own desires. We've seen how the desire leads to conception of sin. It leads to being lured away and being enticed and then being the conception of sin that leads to death. Jesus needs to intervene. Jesus needs to intervene in our lives to stop that recurring and continuous cycle of sin, that continuous cycle of being tempted and, and succumbing with our desires. We need to be freed from that. Only Jesus offers that way out. So we must surrender to Jesus. Have him as our Lord and Saviour. Because he's the one that's come to save us. He's the perfect one. He's the redeemer. He's the one that's brought redemption. Redemption from our temptation. Redemption from our sin. Redemption from death. See, if you're not trusting in Jesus, his power to keep you in any form of temptation and testing, it's not available to you. You will fall away as you have no root and anchor that will hold you fast. But for the true converts of Jesus, Jesus teaches us how to pray. Jesus has said this. He said, lead us not into temptation. He teaches us how to pray, right? The Bible talks about leading us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, what does, does that mean? There's, there's two ways we can, we can read that scripture. In one sense, this could be a prayer that God should not lead us into evil. That God should lead us away from evil. Do not lead us into temptation. Lead me away from temptation that would cause me to sin, Lord. But when temptation does come, because we know it will come, deliver me, deliver me, rescue me, make a way out. 
See, temptations ought to be avoided. We must pray about these things on a daily basis. Help me to avoid. Help me to, to refrain. Help keep me away, Lord. Another way we can look at that is that in another sense that the temptations that we face are trials. As Jesus said, he said, if it's possible that if this cup pass by me, you know what I find by that statement by Jesus is that it's okay for us to pray those type of prayers where, Lord, don't help me fall into, don't, don't, don't um, let me fall into temptation. But Lord, keep me also, strengthen me. You know, sometimes we, it's like when we're praying for people, we can pray that the Lord heals them. But then we can also pray that the Lord strengthens them, right? And that the Lord keeps them and that his will be done. Those two things can, can be held together. We can pray that the Lord intervenes, but we can also pray that his will be perfected. And in those times of suffering that we face, the trials that we face, those testing times, whether it's in our bodies and the jobs that we face, we can pray to God in a way that, Lord, rescue us, right? Rescue us from the suffering. It's okay to pray that, those prayers. That, that's an okay desire to have. That, Lord, I don't want to face this, Lord. This is too difficult for me. This is too hard. I don't want this. It's okay to pray that, but it's also more paramount to pray that, Lord, help me, strengthen me. Let your will be done. Not my desires, but your desires. Because your desires are greater. Your plan and your purposes are greater. And you know what you're doing. You're sovereign over all things. And you're perfecting me through this. I don't know what you're doing. I want you to take me out, but it's your will be done, Lord. Your will be done. And that will help us to persevere. You see, those trials will come. Temptations will come. Whichever way we stay steadfast and rooted because of Jesus. Because he's work on the cross. Because he has redeemed us. We don't need to trust in our own strength. If we trust in our desires, they lead us astray. If we trust in, in you know, the Bible talks about let he that stand. Let him check himself. Lest he falls. We need to look how we stand it. But we need to look to Jesus most of and foremost. Look to Jesus for strength, for renewal, the renewal of our minds and our desires and our heart. Because our heart condition needs to be reformed, needs to be transformed, renewed each and every day. Amen. Amen.